Hello and welcome to episode number 14 of Investing from the Beach. I'm your host, I'm Chris Hansen, and today I've got my co-host with me today, or with me, Chris Lamb. Hey, hello everyone, Chris Lamb is here. And if you're new to the show, quick background on us. You can get a lot more detail by listening to some of the earlier episodes. But a quick review on this. We both uh, hit time freedom uh, via the stock market. I'm about 20 years older than, than the good-looking and the smart Chris, or or the smart Chris, depending which one you want to call him. Um, I hit time. I, we both worked for IBM. We were in sales. And about the time that I left IBM is about the time that Chris joined. We overlapped by a couple of years. I was there about 18 years. He was there a little bit, right around 10. And we figured out how to get time freedom via the stock market. Uh, He left about 10 years after I did, and we developed a great friendship that is built over the years. And in that process of of striving for and then ultimately achieving time freedom, we've had lots of discussions with one another about what it took, and we've had the opportunity to observe in literally hundreds of cases um, how other people react and act in their in their uh, quest to achieve time freedom and what we discovered in ourselves and what we've seen in others it's really a 95 5 combo it five percent of it is how to do 95 percent of it is how to think and the challenge for most people when they don't achieve time freedoms if they focus on the five percent of the how to do the purpose of this podcast is we're going to talk about the how to think In today's episode, in fact, in episode 12 and 13, we reviewed some questions we'd had from the listeners. And one of the ones that we had also that has come up in a number of discussions and emails that we didn't cover in the last two episodes is, can you give examples of how to think? And people were confused or looking for some clarity in describing the operating system versus the apps that we talked about. I think that was in episode number four where we talk about the, the operating system of the brain. And kind so of the t- way the brain works and uh, how it's more related to the operating system. And we compared it with a, a cell phone. I think if you guys want to get more information, go back to episode four, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Just a real quick overview on that. The idea is with a cell phone, the oper- you've got apps. We all use a cell phone app, whether it's email or Facebook or telephone function or a flashlight or a game. We, we buy our phone because of the apps. But the apps are worthless without the operating system. And the operating system, if you're not familiar with technology, what determines how much memory and processor each one of these apps is going to get if they're running concurrently. And so by the same token, in your mind or in your brain, in your quest to time freedom or financial freedom, what most people fall into the trap on is they look and say, oh, I'm going to use real estate to pursue it, or I'm going to choose the stock market, or I'm going to be entrepreneurial and start some type of, you know, sell a bunch of widgets and gizmos. And the challenge they get is that the next shiny lure that comes down, app, they're going to go chase that. And they need to have the baseline foundation of the operating system to help them figure that out. So we'll talk more about that today. Had a great example that came up over the last couple of weeks. I was actually at a, for lack of a better word, like a, a beach barbecue party. And while I was there, an acquaintance came up and said, hey, let me ask you. He goes, I know you know a little bit about the stock market. He said, I've acquired a you know fairly healthy position in, and I'm not going to name the stock because it doesn't matter. And I'm not going to say the price. of. I'm going to make up the price of the stock because I don't want anybody going out there and trying to figure out which one it is. And they're going to think that they're going to try and buy or sell it based on what I say here. That's not the intent. 
you know that there are always people that do that. Yeah, and that's an app, right? They're trying to make the quick buck on this. You got to learn how to do this. But so this person came up, and I'll just make up some numbers to describe it. And he said, "Hey, I bought. You know, I've got a, a very healthy position, and I don't know what healthy means, but a large sum of money, whatever large is, and it's not a or it's it, whatever stock it is doesn't matter. But they built up a healthy position. Let's just say that their cost basis was a hundred bucks." So they've bought a bunch of shares that average that average cost of about a hundred dollars. The stock today is sitting around, let's say, one hundred and forty. So they they'd made about forty percent, and those are not the actual numbers, but they said they were up about forty percent in acquiring that position. And they were asking me, you know, what do you think about using covered calls to sell this? And I kind of looked at them, and I kind of smiled, and said explain to me what a covered call is. I know, but I wanted to have them explain it. And in fact, Chris, I'll role play it with you. I'll put you on the spot. We didn't even talk about sure. this. You want to explain a covered call. I'll let you be the other guy. So I said, well, first of all, was he able to explain the covered call? He was. He understood the concept. Oh, okay. So he got it. Well, there's many ways to, uh, I guess, for me, I first of all, what's a call? A call is the... Sorry, so go. Call, call is, is one type of option. An option is a contract. Right? So I think a lot of people get confused between options and stocks. So the option is a piece of paper, right? It's a contract that you're trading. The stock is actual you know, ownership of the company that you're buying. So you got to uh, uh, distinguish the two. So one type of option is a call option. And the call option is uh, a contract that gives you the right to buy. So for those who are confused, um, you can relate it to a coupon, like a coupon to go buy pizza, right? Everybody's familiar with that, or most of us are familiar with that. So relate the pizza is the, you know, the pizza is the stock. And the coupon that you're, you have for the pizza is the call contract. And so what a covered call says is, hey, I own the pizza or I own the stock, right? And I'm going to give or sell the coupon to somebody, right? So I'm going to give somebody the right to buy the pizza or take the stock from me. So if I give them this coupon, I'm going to get paid for it. And so I'm getting paid for somebody to take this pizza or stock away from me. So does that make sense, Chris? It does. So it gives, so the, the call option gives somebody the, the person who owns or is holding the call option has the right to buy stock. It's actually Correct. 100 shares of stock. So they have the right to buy the stock. And as terms of that contract, there's a few parameters that are consistent with every option that you're going to buy or sell. It points to the underlying stock. So it could be ABC stock, IBM, Microsoft, doesn't matter. It also has a strike price. What is the price that you will pay for that pizza or for that stock? It has an expert. So let's, let's take an example of that uh, specific stock that you were talking about your uh, buddy yep. was referring AB to. So XYZ call it ABC stock. company. Okay. And just so, so we're clear, <clears throat> ABC stock in the real world is Amerisource Bergen. It is not that company. It is not that so company. This is not that one. So ABC company, currently trading at $140, you said? Yep, something like that. Right. It, some, you know, he bought it at 100 yep. you know, or average price or whatever it was, and now it's up at about 140 So now I can sell a call contract for somebody to buy, take my shares for $140 and it will expire uh, on a Friday. If it's a weekly contract and expires at the end of the week on a Friday, 
that Friday. Yep. If it's a monthly contract, then it expires on the third Friday of the month. Correct. Okay. And so whichever uh, call that you decide to pick and sell, you're going to get paid for it. Of course, the more further out in time, uh, the higher the price will be uh, if you are uh, executing on the same or uh, referring to the same strike price. Um, and the strike price, have you talked about that yet, Chris? Nope. Go ahead. All right. So the strike price is basically uh, the price that you agreed upon to uh, buy the stock for on the call contract. Right. So the call says the right to buy. And so when you give somebody the right to buy at that strike price, which is we said earlier, 140, you're saying, hey, you can take it away from me for 140. I'm giving you that right. And you have that until the expiration date. Mm-hmm. Right. And for giving that person that right to take away your shares by that expiration date, you're going to get uh, paid for it. Right? And so uh, typically on a contract like that, right, to agree, hey, you can take it away at the current price at 140 uh, and uh, I give you, you know, maybe two weeks in time uh, from when you get to make this decision, you're going to get probably a percent to 2% on, yep. on, on, on average on something that's pretty, that's pretty normal. Yep. So one right. to 2% and give or take about two weeks. Give or take about two weeks. Correct. Okay. And so, so and he that, was trying to he was trying to consider whether he should do that or not, right? And so, just to clear, further clarify that, so in that example where he said the stock is currently at about 140, there are all types of different strike prices. You could look to sell a strike that might be at 135, or you giving somebody the right to buy the stock from you at 135. You might let somebody um, write a contract at 145, or 100, or 100. Yeah, or even and, 160. And whatever time frame you can select uh, or expiration date. Yep. So it could be two weeks out. It could be as much as even two years out. And those are all available to you. And so his question was, hmm, if I were to sell a call, and it's known as a covered call, meaning you have the stock to deliver. If I were to sell a call against my bazillion shares that I've got, whatever sizable position he has, he could make, let's say, if we said, let's just use a number. Let's say it was 2%. So 2% of 140, let's call it about $3 just to make the math easy. So he could, in theory, these are not real numbers, just theoretical numbers. He would get $3 for giving somebody the right to buy his shares at 140 that would expire in about two weeks. So that somebody would give him $3 today for the right to buy a share of stock, and they actually go in clumps of 100, so they'd give them $300 today for the right to buy 100 shares of stock at 140 within about two weeks. And his question was, does that make any sense? And I just looked at him and smiled and said, it all depends on what you want to do. And so we talked through, how are you going to feel if Murphy, you know, Murphy's Law of... Um, you know, always shows up. If you don't sell the call and you sit on the stock at 140, by you deciding not to, to sell the call, how are you going to feel when the stock drops to 130 in the next two weeks? Or 135 or even 125? Because now you had something that was worth 140, and now it's suddenly only worth anywhere from 135 to maybe even 125, maybe even 120. The opposite side of that says if you do sell the call, 
Murphy's law will Murphy's law of trading will just step up and smack you. And then suddenly the stock's going to rocket to 160 or 150 just because you agreed to sell it at 140. And that's the trading gods rearing up and, and smacking you for not knowing what you're doing. It happens to all of us. And when I so post his, so his concern was, Hey, if I sell the call, I risk the stock being taken away. And, but I get to keep a little bit of dollar for that. Yes. Right. And then the stock runs to, you know, 200 bucks or whatever. Yes. And I'm going to miss out on that gain. Yep. But if I don't sell the call, then if it goes down, then I can't really make anything off of that. I've missed the opportunity to collect what we collect say, a little bit the three dollars, whatever strike he was trying to. Yep, sell. exactly. So I get a couple of percentage yeah. points. And I think, I mean, for those of you guys who are, you know, new to calls, just imagine there's so many scenarios, right? Just because the combination of price and ex or strike price and, and expiration that he can choose from. So, you know, we didn't get into, I don't think, did you get into any detail no. uh, with him on that? No, not uh, at all. And and the key, the point of this is just, I, I don't think he has a system, correct? The, the whole point of this, and it goes back to, it's a great example of how to think. All he's talking about is an app. I'm going to buy stock. I sat on it for a little bit, and now it's risen. I feel good about it. I'd like to continue. I mean, awesome, it'd be awesome if this stock rose to the moon. But if it doesn't, boy, it sure would be neat to be able to capture a little bit of dollars by selling covered calls. He doesn't have a methodology. No set of rules. No operating system. When he bought the stock, clearly he didn't know if he was trying to, is he trying to get a double out of the stock? Is he trying to make 5%? Does he want to hold this thing for a week? Does he want to hold it for a lifetime? No preconceived strategy at all. No set of rules in buying in. No operating system. Yeah, it's, it's a hard <laughs> decision to make if you're not sure, you know, what's the next opportunity or why am I in this stock? And what you find out when you get in that situation, you are absolutely, completely driven by emotion. And so he may have heard something on the news today or, in, you know, in the in the days since we've talked about it where maybe that company came out with good news. And now he says, ah, you know what? I'm going to hang on a little bit because maybe the stock price is going to rise. Or maybe somebody, maybe that company came out with some bad news. Now he's concerned that, uh-oh, this stock may fall a little bit. Or maybe some analyst came, you know, some newsletter writer came out and said, oh, we really like the prospects of ABC stock. And he gets wind of that and says, oh, well, these guys said something good. I must be, I must be onto something good. And so I'm going to hang on. Wherever, wherever the wind blows. Yep, exactly. And if you have not experienced this, the best thing to do, <clears throat> to, excuse me, to really drive this point home, in the next couple of days, first thing in the morning, before the market even opens, go on to CNBC.com and read through the titles of the articles. And just about a guarantee within, anywhere within about a two-day period, you can find one article that will say, uh, trader says that oil prices are going to rise and oil stocks should go up. And then three articles down, there'll be another article that says, trader comes out and says, we think the price of oil is going to plummet because of something going on in Saudi or the Mideast or wherever. And you get two articles with completely disparage or completely opposite opinions. And they are just that, opinions. And whichever 
route, whichever direction you thought the stock was going to go, whether you thought oil was going to go up or oil was going to go down, you will take that perceived expert's writing and add that to your evidence that says you're correct. And that's just pure, unbridled emotion. And it's wrong. It's a lot of emotions. And it and points, thing, yeah. I was going to say, and it points to not having an operating system, not knowing why you were buying. He knew what he was buying, ABC stock. He didn't know when to buy. He didn't know when to sell. He had no strategy going into it other than, you know, he buys and then he, he kneels down before the altar and says, and says, please, dear God, make this stock go up and prays about it. And not only that is it it's you know w when you're done with that stock, then what's next? And is all the money in this one stock? Yep, that's right. no so, strategy. You know, lots of things to answer, and that's you can kind of imagine how uh, deep the operating system must be. Mm -hmm. And so when you focus on the operating system, you will develop a system that will lead you to success. Uh, versus frustration if from apps to apps to apps to apps. Yeah. And now, if you're a real estate aficionado and you hear us saying this, you go, see, I was right. Real estate's better because I don't have to deal with all that stuff in real estate. And I would say the hell you don't. It's the same stuff. The challenge is, the good thing is the stock market moves a lot faster and it gives you volatility, which is where you get the opportunity to make money. But it'd be the same concept in real estate is if you bought a property and thought, you know, I'm buying this to flip it. And then three minutes later, three hours or three days later, you change your mind and say, no, I'm going to buy this to rehab it and rent it. And then three days later, you bring your family out there and one member of your family looks and says, I love this place. Let's rehab it and live in it. And so you now have come up with three different tactics or three strategies in just a few days on this on this property it's the same concept yeah and i mean i think you know you you touched on it as because you don't see the real estate market as being as volatile as the stock market correct so imagine let me paint that scenario you own that property chris and you said hey i'm going to go and flip that i buy the house for a hundred thousand dollars yeah, you buy it for a hundred thousand you said i'm going to flip it and then the next day it jumps up to uh, 130 yep Right. And you, it got to where you want to sell it. And then all of a sudden you, hmm, what if I hold on to it for a little bit more? Because yesterday it was, you know, 120, yes. now it's 130. So you're going to feel a little bit greedy now to hang on to it. See, we get to 135. Right? Then it gets to 135 in a month. Mm -hmm. right? So that's where the emotions come in. And it's not even in a month. I mean, it's the next day if you're comparing it to the stock market. Correct. And so this is what you have to make decisions on constantly moving prices. And these prices aren't arbitrary. Oh, Chris, <laughs> by the way, that 135, now it's down to 129. So oh, yeah. keep going with your story. Keep going. <laughs> Say right. prices so that, that, apparently that are arbitrary. price is not like, hey, it's, you know, it's just kind of out of the sky somewhere. It's, it's 131 now. Yep. And I can hit right now. I got 131 for it. And notice as I'm doing that to him, it distracts him. It, it it I interrupt his train of his train of thought, and while prices are moving, while prices are moving, and it happens to every single person until you know how to deal with this. But it, even just and he and I have a lot of experience in the stock market. But even as I throw a number out at him, 
He's processing it. And then you notice how I told you I, I so I exited already, so you keep on, so you stop telling me prices. <laughs> <laughs> and then doesn't care what it does afterwards. Exactly. It does not matter. And and you know what? That ABC stock can go to two hundred because it does not matter. There's companies that do that all the time, and you know you don't need to catch it at the bottom and sell at the top. Correct. And you don't need to stick with just one stock. You don't need to just stick with one stock. Correct. There's no loyalty. That's and that's. I mean, you know, how am I able to say that confidently? Is because I I am going off of an operating system and how to, you know, operate in the stock market. And because you learned it the hard way. Correct. Yeah. You started <laughs> off doing all the as I did. You start off all the yeah. emotional stuff. What do I do? What do I do? Oh my God, the price is moving. I need to jump. Oh, now that I jump, now it's going to fall. Oh my God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And you got to take a big step backwards and say, what is the operating system? What's my plan? What's my intent? How am I going to do it? It's three questions. All boils down to what to buy, when to buy, when to sell. Yeah, I mean, and and we're again we're sharing from experience because uh, if if somebody were to tell us when we first started to learn the stock market that, you know, hey, here's you got to go and, and learn that operating system. It would be much easier for us to go and find that, or at least try to build that. But not knowing, nobody just told me going that. from apps to apps to apps to apps. Yeah, right? nobody told me that, and I don't yeah. know if when I first learned if I would have believed them. Part of that operating system has to have experience, right? It's just that ex, you know you don't need to experience all the bad and negative side to right, to do the right things. Correct. Uh, but you still need to experience the right things. And so it, it kind of all boils down to you need some kind of a system to help you understand what you're doing. And it really becomes a question. And it's not, it, it's not that one person's system is better than another. It's really about the trader or the investor. It's their ability to follow the process. And if the process is good, the results will show as long as you're always following the rules of the process. But if you break the rules and go off course, then we don't know if the problem is with the process or the system or the methodology or is the problem with the individual. And so, and that's where the emotions come in and screw you up. And so you have to, you know, I always tell people all, and Chris, you, you, you've echoed this with me. I always tell people all the time, find a set of rules that you believe work. It could be anywhere. It doesn't matter. And then practice those rules for at least a year on paper. So you're not going to make any money in the first year. You're also not going to lose any money in the first year. But you want to prove to yourself that those rules work. And that they work in... Up markets, they work in down markets, they work in sideways markets, they work in volatile markets, they work in dead markets. And work doesn't mean you're always making money. Work may rules work may mean they keep you out of the market as you wait for things to set up. And then once you've proven that you can follow the rules and that they will make you money, now you start with a little tiny amount of real money. And now you get to see what emotions feel like. And now we get to see if you can follow those rules. And what uh, Chris just talked about earlier, just just right now, you guys probably think he's referring to just the stock market, but that's he said market, 
He didn't say stock. So it could be any market. Yep. And it could be right, relationship markets. Yes. Right, whatever it is. It could be, you know, you're in the endeavor to lose weight. Physical fitness market. Everything. It's everything. It's how, it's the how to think. So you, you got to have an operating system of uh, doing going about doing it. And you got to have those set rules. And you got to go and, and, and test it out and practice it. Right? You got to apply it. The one thing, even though with all those other markets, the one market, that, the only market I've ever seen that you can practice in is the stock market. I can't, you know, doc, medical professionals have a practice. But that just, a, to me, I always laugh at that just as they're trying to get it right. But it's a law practice. It's a medical practice. It's an accounting practice. You can't, I can practice on dead bodies if I'm a surgeon. But to see if I really got it right, I got to operate on a live person. I can practice, I guess you could do an accounting, you could do accounting numbers on old stuff. So maybe, maybe, maybe make that argument. I mean, it's one of the few places where it allows you to practice, um, I guess, hone your craft or, and then, then you be, then you got to deal with the emotions of real life money, right? Correct. Correct. Um, but but it's it's pretty close to getting you ready, as far as uh, you know. You're not being forced to. At least it allows uh, you to prove that the rules work. Yep. And then when you put Test real money rules. on there, now we get to see if you can follow the rules when your emotions when your emotions are coming at you. So Chris, how how do you? What kind of emotions are you going to feel if you did that covered call scenario or didn't do the covered call scenario? Let's talk about some of that, so people have an idea what we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, there's so many outcomes that can take place. And I, again, I said it depends on what type of call you're selling. Are you saying, you know, to, to take a look at dive through different scenarios or how would I approach it? So you, you bought the stock at 100. It's now risen up 40%, you know, over the over X number of months or years, whatever it's been. Sure. Now it's sitting at 140. So you're, you're, you're positive 40%. You're not sure. I mean, you would love if this stock would run to 200, double your money. Mm -hmm. But you don't know if that's possible. You don't know if it's likely and or how long it'll take. Although you got it in the back of your mind, you know, you, you, a few years ago, Facebook went public yep. and they opened up, I think it was about 30, it dropped down in the twenties and you might've bought it down there around 25, maybe 30. Mm -hmm. And then it ran up to about 45 or 50 over the next few months. And you sold a covered call when it was up there. The stock blew right through that. They took your shares away at about 50, and then you watched it continue to run, and now it's north of 100. And you've been kicking yourself ever since. Pissed off. Still got the boot in my ass. Yep, exactly. And it, it's got your own footprint on there. So nobody else was kicking mm -hmm. your butt. You're doing it yourself. Of course, you forget about the fact that there were many buying opportunities all the way from 50 up to 100. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, you didn't want to buy higher than what you'd sold at. Yep. So you had so the emotion those, of, of feeling like you're overpaying. Yeah, that's one of the key emotions that a, a lot of uh, stock traders will go through, knowing that hey, you dumped it at a you know x x dollars, it's hard to pay x plus. Yes. You know, whatever it is. Even though the stock's still running north, so that's one emotion. One emotion. So another emotion could be you bought the stock at 100, now it's up at 140, and. Oh, you bad. hold on. You hold on. 
bad, bad news, news comes out, out, right? They announce earnings or, you know, their their product is the, the cause of cancer or it's rumored to be the cause of cancer. Yep, or just a very strong competitor. Something. Right? It's able to, yeah. Suddenly the market share, whatever yep. it is. We turn on the TV at 6 in the morning in L.A., which would be 9 in the morning in New York, 30 minutes before the market opens. Kramer is talking on CNBC. All the CNBC talking heads are out. And they're talking about your stock with the bad news that came out. And in the pre-market, it's trading down at 128. So it's dropped almost 10% on this bad news. And, you know, as soon as you hear that, you think, you know, interesting. I was thinking of selling that thing yesterday. You really weren't, but you got you tell yourself that to make yourself feel a little bit better. So now you deal with that emotion of, hmm. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. Now it's going to open up at, you know, let's say let's say $126. So it's truly down 10% from 140 So I'll say pre-market activity shows the stock is down $14. Huge trading volume down 10%. You happen to check your broker's page at, you know, 10 minutes into the market day. So it's... 6.40 in the morning in LA, 9.40 in the morning in New York, see the stock's trading about 126. Part of you wants to say, oh my God, I better bail because this thing could go lower. Another part of you says, maybe this is the time to buy more because maybe the news was just a glitch and maybe it's going to run back up to 140. I've or still got some profit on. or do I just hang on and do nothing? Yeah, hang on and if it goes down a little bit more, then maybe I'll buy some more. Correct. Maybe Trump will tweet about it, and that'll either make yeah. it go really good or really bad, depending on how the, on how if he misspells the word or not. So you get to deal with that emotion. And what's the right answer? Is it best buy it to sell or to buy more? I'm sorry, to buy more, to hold on, or to sell? And it's it's very tough to come up with an answer when you are stuck in that moment, and you have no operating system to come up with the answer. You got it. That's exactly it. And then your emotions dictate everything that you're going to be doing. Mm -hmm. Now, on the other hand, so that's one scenario. Another scenario is the stock was sitting at 140. And keep an eye on it. And for the next three weeks, it sits on 140. And it bounces between 138 and 142. So it's moving in this tight little, you know, one-ish, one to two percent range. Not moving at all. And the trading gods are watching you. And the market makers are watching you. Because they know... And it sure feels, let me rephrase that. You feel that they know the minute you decide to say that's enough, I'm going to sell. As soon as you sell, that stock's going to run up, pop to 150 just to rub your face in it. Especially since that's what Facebook did when you were in it a couple years ago. And you'll be, God darned, if you're ever going to, if you're going to have that happen again. Or it drops. Never. No, it never crosses your mind. Never, ever. <laughs> or it drops to 135 and just sits there. And now you're not sure whether you should sell to hang on to your $35 of profit. Or is there another buying opportunity there and you should load up with some more? And if you do load up with some more, how much more do you buy? Do you match your existing position? Do you buy a smaller percentage? Do you buy a bigger percentage? Hmm. All the emotions coming at All you. And all these questions to ask yep. or to answer. And once you have the operating system, all these things we've talked about, these are cool because these are great opportunities. It doesn't mean you buy. It doesn't mean you sell. They're great opportunities. You have to understand the whole thing. But if you're so focused on the app 
and not knowing what you're doing and why you're doing it, you will struggle forever. Yeah. So did you guys, did you guys end up with a, uh, you know, where did you guys leave off as far as, Hey, what should I do? Pretty much the discussion I was having here now. I'm not licensed, okay. so I can't give advice. Okay. I just gave him some so stuff to think gave about. Gave him some things to think about. And I'm okay. sure it's been echoing in his head forever since then. If he, if he thinks <laughs> I know what I'm doing, if he doesn't think I know what I'm doing, then he ain't going to say, say much about did it. Did he say, hey, what would you do if, if you were in that scenario? No, he didn't ask it. And I don't no. even know. I don't think he even knows I do a podcast, so he may not even know that he's listening to this. Oh, okay. Um, and if he does, he'll next time I see him, he'll chuckle about it and go, was that me you were talking about? Nope. Um, <clears throat> nope. Not you at all different beach party exactly (laughs) (laughs) because we invest from the beach that's why beach parties up and down the coast one of the things you could think about you know and let's hypothetically let's say that stock is or it won't be this stock but another stock is going to go from 100 to 200 it's going to double over the course of whatever it is a year 18 months six months whatever it is doesn't matter it's awesome to go in and buy it at 100 you know at the absolute low and then sell it at 200 up at the top. It's incredibly rare to do that, but man, wouldn't that be a good bragging thing? You can really impress your buddies at the backyard beach party. On the other hand, what if you took chunks out of that move? Maybe you got the ride from 100 to 108 and sold. And maybe it pulled back, you got back in, I don't know, 104. Got out at 109. Maybe then it skirted up to 120. You never got a buy point. Pulls back to, I don't know, 115. Maybe get 115 to 120 again. And you get chunks out of the move. And so rather than catching $100 or 100% when it went from $100 up to 200 and that really was just kind of a luck, maybe instead, maybe you do five, six, seven trades and you catch anywhere from 3 to 5 to $10 on each one of those moves going up. But you're doing it off of a planned strategy where you're looking at it saying, I'm looking for a stock to buy. I'm looking for when to buy and when to sell. And in those moves that I may not be in that stock that's doubling, I could be in another one. And I'm catching moves there. I could make money on another stock that's falling. Because and the, it's and, part of and my And those moves that you're stock. talking about on... on capturing or mostly to the upside or all of them to the upside. You didn't even mention moves to the downside. It could be either way, right? I can make money going down. I can make money going up. It doesn't matter. People listening to this, if they don't have a background in this, they'll say, wait a minute. I hear all the, all the media press talks about and said, well, you know, typical average return of the S and P over the last, you know, X number of decades is in the range of eight ish percent. You listen to Dave Ramsey and he'll say, you know, it's about 6% average return. Interesting, if you go and look at the uh, the return of the S&P 500 from 1980, and I just picked 1980, it's just a random year up until, I think it was earlier this year, even without the uh, the recent run we've had. I think the return was, what did you do the math? I think it was 9%. That's the numbers we used when we had the 401k discussion. Mm-hmm. So it's had about a 9% average return. And people say, well, wait, so how can you make... in a short time if the market returns 9% in a year. Well, here's something to on a how to think example. And if you're, if you're listening to this closely, after you listen to me explain this once, please hit rewind and listen again. You want to go do this. This will open your eyes to the, to the opportunity that's, and it's a real easy way to spot when somebody speaks real estate versus the stock market. 
and they can show their, I mean, ignorance in a positive way, they can show that they are uninformed. What you want to do, pick 12 stocks. You pick the 12, I don't care what 12 they are. I would say don't waste your time on a utility. Pick a name that you think moves a little bit. And, you know, some of the big blue chips aren't going to move as much. So like a Procter & Gamble, a Dow, an Alcoa, things like that, they're not going to have as much volatility. But try it with those and then pick some wilder ones. You know, maybe you pick, I don't know, like an Apple, a Google. Uh, pick some names now that are, what's some names that are moving now? Maybe Micron, uh, NVIDIA. It's a time where I mean, just normal names. Uh, just names you just hear. Companies yeah. of, that you hear regularly. Yeah, you, I mean, pick you don't have names. to be familiar with the stock market, just companies that companies you, know. you shop at, you, know, you buy. Yep, and if you're not sure, turn on Mad Money. Let's know what Kramer says. Pick a couple names that he mentions. Not that it's a good or bad company, just if he comes out and says, hey, this company is a dog, and he puts them on their wall of shame, Go look up that one. So pick 12 companies. And then whatever company you pick, assign each one of them a month, a random month. Put one of them on January, one on February, one on March, one on April, all the way through the end of the year. So you've assigned each company a different month. Now assign each company a year. So hypothetically, you pick ABC stock for January of 2002. You pick IBM for March of 2008 whatever so you you the end of the listener has picked the stock you have picked the month and you have picked the year there's no way i'm stacking the deck on this one and then go to yahoo easy place to find it uh website is www.finance.yahoo.com and when it brings up the page it's gonna uh, there'll be a little spot there where it says key in the ticker and ticker is a one to five letter code that signifies the name of the company. You might have to do a little research to find it. Key in the ticker and it's going to come back and it's going to give you the current price or the current day's price. And you're going to see a high low range there. On the left side, there's going to be a panel. One of the choices there is going to say historical pricing. Click on historical pricing. And it's going to ask you for the start date and the end date. So if you did February of 2002, pick 2-1-2002 as the start, 2-28-2002 as the end. Press enter. And it's going to come back with a spreadsheet that's going to have, what, five, six columns on there. It's going to have a date. Then it's going to say open, high, low, close, and volume. And what that refers to is the date is pretty obvious. The open is the value of the first trade of that morning. So whatever the opening price was for that day's trading, that'll be the open. The high was as high as it traded that day. The low is as low as it traded that day. And the close was the last trade. And then volume points to the number of shares that were traded that day. So you're going to have ballpark 20 line items there if you do it for a month. 20 to 22 dates. Run your finger down the, the column that says high and find the highest price that it traded. And then run your finger down the low column and find the lowest price it traded. And as in, let me just make one up. Let's say you picked ABC stock and its high price for the month was 100, or say its low price was 100, and its high was 110. You do the, subtract those two numbers, you get a difference of 10. So take the high minus the low, 
and take that difference and divide it into the low or divide it into the high. It really doesn't matter. So in our example, we had a high of 100. We had a low of, uh, sorry, we had a high of 110. We had a low of 100. The difference on that is 10. And 10 divided by the low would be 10%. That says that the stock had 10 per, it moved 10% from its low to its high during the month. And you're going to find even the most stodgy of the blue chips will usually move right in the range of about 10%. And you'll find volatile names that are very common names that all of us have heard and are familiar with. Not uncommon to see them move anywhere from 20, sometimes 30 plus percent in a month. And the pros, uh, sorry, the financial services community will tell you you can only make, yeah, expect to make 6 to 8% per year by just buying and holding. And yet you'll find many stocks that these guys are touting could move as much as 10, 20, sometimes even as much as 30% within a month. Yes, and I always tell people, you will it, you will never buy at the low. And you don't plan on selling at the high. You, you, there's just no way to know. But I tell people if you could see if you saw a stock that had, I don't know, 20% of move, 20 points of percentage points of movement, do you think it's a stretch to maybe try and get 3 to 5% of those? And that's just within a month. And it's not going to do it every month, but when you look yeah, at that, you're not you're not just trading that one stock either. No, so. yeah, you got all, you lots got of stuff that lots does that. of stock that move that way, yeah. and it's a really good eye opener as to the volatility and the opportunity that's available in the stock market. If you've never looked at this, strongly, strongly urge you to go do that homework. And when you first start doing it, it's going to if you've never done it, it'll be a little confusing at first. And if you get into it, you may find that you're going to blow a few hours on a weekend thinking, is this guy right? And you'll start looking at all kinds of different stocks just to see and you go, son of a gun, look at that. Look at that opportunity. And now don't kid yourself. You're never going to get it. You're never going to buy at the low. You're not going to sell at the high. I'm not claiming that. All I'm saying is that if you've got, you know, let's use a 20, even if you had 10%, do you think it's a stretch to try and get maybe three of those 10 points to try and capture them? And if you've got 20 to 30 points, percentage points of movement, do you think it's a stretch to try and catch that same, you know, plus or minus three, maybe even 5% of movement? That's what we're looking at doing. That's a system. Yeah. That's the and operating Chris, system. And Chris gave, gave you guys a very detailed instruction and in how to go about and do that. But he basically is telling you to, you know, hey, go find you know, how much percentage movement you see in a stock, right? those 12 stocks that you're picking within any given month that you select. And the key of that exercise is to really hammer home uh, the understanding that there's a lot of companies out there that do move quite a bit on a monthly basis, not every month, but most months. And enough you know, of that movement to allow you to capture just a small chunk of that, that movement um, to be able to get some very decent type of returns. And you know, the guy who's afraid, hey, I may miss out on this move on this ABC company is not understanding that there's a lot of companies that do that all the time as far as movement. And you don't need to be sitting in you know, a company or in that same stock at the bottom and ride it to the top. It's, it's if you can even do that. Correct. ABC but, stock doesn't know you own it. You're exactly. the only one that knows you own it. You can, you can, I call them dates. 
You can date ABC stock for a little while and then break up and go, go trade XYZ stock and then come back to ABC stock. It's not going to look at you weird. Like, wait, you were just, you just had your money in XYZ stock. You can't come back mm-hmm. to me. Stock doesn't know. Stock doesn't care. You're the mm-hmm. only one that knows. You were the one that has the emotion and is attached to the stock, not the other way around. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I heard somebody say it once. I, I love this line when this guy said it. And it was referring to, you know, people will say, well, I, I, I can't let go of this stock because I love this stock. And he looked him in the eye and he said, you can't love any, you can't love anything if it doesn't reach up and kiss you. <laughs> right. A stock is never going to reach up and kiss you. It'll, it'll kick you, but it'll never kiss you. And so to say you're in love with a stock, you're an idiot. Yeah, that's, that's it's the employee. part. It, exactly. That's an employee. You have to have the operating system to understand that. And so with that, if you'll do that homework, and again, if you have to rewind on the podcast, go back and listen to this again and try and do that. If you put in the effort, depending how into it you get, you can easily get it done within an hour. And you don't have to do this when the market's open. Do it when the market's closed. Do it late at night after everybody goes to bed. And this is how you become an overnight success. You just don't do it in one night. You got to do it over a lot of nights. But if you do that, you'll probably develop a little bit of motivation to go, oh my gosh, there's opportunity here. And the question becomes then is that motivation will be high. And the encouragement is very high to me. It's kind of like when you first go to the gym. You know, you know, you join the new gym in January with all the other fat overweight people that go in there. And you look at the slim, good looking physique people or nice physique people. They weren't motivated any longer. They have discipline. And in order for you to change your excitement, to actually see results, it doesn't take motivation. It takes discipline of doing the same thing again and again and again and again. You're following the process. And the yeah, su- the, mo- the motivation will only get you jump started. Right? Correct, correct. And the success comes from doing the process correctly. And when you do that, that's when the money shows up. And people get it backwards. They're doing this for, they think they're doing this for the money. And it's actually wrong. You're doing this to do it correctly, to do the process correctly. That's what makes you successful. And it's at that point and only at that point that the money starts to show up. And that's the out of think part. And that's true whether it's in the stock market, whether it's in the real estate market, whether you're becoming an Amazon affiliate, whether you're starting some entrepreneurial venture. It doesn't matter. It's the same thing. Well, I think we reference uh, Kobe, Kobe Bryant, in the past episodes. I, I don't think he knows it, but uh, you know, because he he made a lot of money from basketball, all the endorsements, all the um, right uh, high salaries, right? Yes. Just endorsements and and commercials, everything that he's doing. You know, how did he get to that level? He didn't focus on making commercials. He didn't focus on a pair of shoes. He focused on playing basketball, his craft. He focused on championships. Correct. And and that translated into right money. The money and showed I think up a lot. Yeah. Versus you get a lot of very, you know, skillful basketball players coming into the league. Uh, they're focusing, you know, the fame, the money, and not basketball. And then they fade away. We got a great example of that of the kid coming out from. Uh from UCLA, Lonzo Ball, right? Fabulous player. And it's 
sad and, and, you know, it's like watching a train wreck, watching the way the father's involved, who's focused on the dollars, right? Selling the shoes, getting the kid, trying to get the kid the contract with shoe companies and whatever other dumb stuff he's doing, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to focused on getting him to be the best player that he can be and see if he has what it takes to play at the top level. Yep, and then the money will come. The money will, he won't know what to do with it. It'll show up so much. Yep. But he's focused on the money too quick. And he's yet to prove himself. And again, I mean, you're talking about discipline. Uh, again, that's being required versus the motivation. And having the motivation is great. But, I mean, I can, uh, motivation can be exhausting, Chris. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. You got you got to be constantly motivated. Motivation's uh, emotion to keep on yeah to it's keep emotion. on doing the work. That that's you're going to be exhausted at some point, and so you're on this emotional curve of ups and downs. When you're not motivated, you're 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 almost depressed now, and then you shy away from doing whatever that you were doing when you're motivated. You need the shot of espresso to get your pump back up again. Yeah, you're almost like a you know you're. A motivation uh, theme, you know? mm-hmm. So, you know what's what's better to have? I definitely you you need the discipline. It's not even what's better to have. You got to have the discipline. Well, Chris, have you ever tried to go to a discipline seminar? Nope. Oh, but you do go to motivational. I mean, you look not you go to them, but you see them all the time. A motivational seminar. Yeah, because if I'm too disciplined, I won't pay you the money. Correct. You never hear about a discipline seminar. <laughs> but every weekend there's a motivational seminar motivational speaker motivational coming seminar. to town and so I hope people aren't motivated by what we're telling you right but hopefully that what we're telling you gets you to understand and say hey get to being disciplined so you can act on this information how many people are going to do that on work I bet not you know not very five percent nope that's the road talk not... about that 95 five percent five percent the road is not very heavily trafficked because yep. people will not do the work. And we know it, right? Just so 5% of you out there that's going to do it will uh, succeed, not just in this, but whatever you do. Whatever you do. It doesn't matter. This, apply, this is stock market. This is anything. Relationships, working out, finances, spiritual stuff. It doesn't matter. Chris, that's a, we, could, uh, we could start a very, very unsuccessful business. We'll do discipline seminars. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to rent a big hotel room. We can rent one of those little, like the little closet in the back and charge us 50 uh, bucks and we'll have two people in there. Well, you're going to have a bunch of, uh, you're going to have a bunch of kids. We'll, we'll have three. Yeah. Discipline problems. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll have three people. It'll be you and me and somebody in that city that we know. Yeah. And that we already know. And that'll be it. Cause nobody would show up, exactly. but they will show up if they say motivational seminar. And that's the last thing that they need. They need the discipline mm-hmm. instead. Along those lines, there, I, Chris, we didn't put this in our discussion point. It just struck me as we we're talking about it. I, I was interviewed a couple months ago, and it was put on another podcast. If you want to go listen to it, it gives you a different perspective of, of kind of how to think. And um, the show is called Pathways to Success. You can find it on iTunes, or you can go to a website. It's Julian Placino. Uh, J-U-L-I-A-N-P, like Peter, L-A-C-I-N-O dot com. And I think it's episode 64. I can't remember it. It's, it's like Chris Hansen, Profits on Wall Street or something like that. 
but he was in there and he was talking to me about, you know, my background. I actually found it pretty interesting. And what I thought was curious was he has, he's, and the guy's a fabulous interviewer. He's got some really interesting guests. And if you've got the time, I'd urge you to scan through there and see if there's other topics or people of interest that, that grab you. And some of the people I, I had no interest in. And so you know, I listened to a little bit, but they didn't, they weren't, they weren't in my wheelhouse, so it didn't grab me. And others were really interesting. But I thought what was most curious was Julian's a fabulous interview. He's one of the few that I've seen where he'll ask you a question. He really listens to what you say and then keys off of that. There were other people that I've, <clears throat> that I heard on his show that were talking about financial freedom. And what I noticed on all of those is that they speak about financial freedom. I talk about time freedom. But even in their quest towards financial freedom, there's a determination and a drive that gets you there. And that's a little bit of that is motivation, but it's discipline. But I also noticed in that determination and drive to get to financial freedom, financial freedom to me just says you've got something coming in that's paying your bills that you still have to spend time on. Time freedom is something that requires little to none of your time. And it doesn't mean that, oh, I've, you know, I've got my rentals and, you know, I had no issues with the tenants this month, so I've got time freedom this month. No, you have time freedom for years. There's a huge, yeah, there's, there's a huge difference, huge difference with that. And it was, yeah. it was interesting to listen to some of the other uh, people that were interviewed that were in that same uh, field of an or endeavor, if you will, and the difference in the thinking on that. And, and I, I don't want to, I don't, I certainly don't mean that as in a better than statement. It's just, it's a different way of thinking. And you can spot it when somebody has it, and you can spot it when they don't. Yeah, and I think time freedom, right, is not talked about much, right, or at all. I, I don't really know who talks about that. Mm. Have you read many books about that or any book that talks about time freedom? Not much at all. Not yeah, much at all. They're all saying, hey, financial independence, retire early. What does retirement mean? There was a, um, uh, Chris, I don't think I've ever shared the story with you. There's a guy that I know who's the... He's the keyboardist for Smokey Robinson. So he travels around the country and plays keyboards with Smokey. So if you've ever seen Smokey in concert, you look up on stage and he's a guy with dreads down halfway down his back and he's a buddy of mine. I don't, I, um, call him a really, really good guy. And when we were, uh, I was talking with him about looking to do some audio work with some guy on a project. And he set me up with an instructor, at one of the local colleges, who's actually a, like a jazz trumpeter. And I met the guy one afternoon for lunch and we were just talking through stuff. And I described what I was doing or what I was looking for. And I used the word time freedom. And when I said that, he stopped me. He said, say that again? And I said, time freedom. And he just stared at me for a minute, literally like a minute and a half. And he was just pondering that concept. And he looked at me and he said, I really like that. And so we mm -hmm. talked a little bit further and, you know, it ends up he teaches, I think it was his jazz trumpet or something at one of the local universities. And he plays concerts around occasionally, just, you know, like small, uh, small venues, kind of like dinner jazz stuff. And there's a place near where I live where it's uh, they do like a Sunday night jazz thing. And I knew he was going to be playing there in a month or two. So I just marked my calendar and went over there one Sunday night just to hear him play. And I'm sitting in the audience having a beer. And I caught it. And he didn't see me in the audience, but as he took a break, he walked by. And I just tapped him. I said, hey, how you doing? And he looked at me and goes, time freedom. 
Time freedom. <laughs> I mean, first words out of his mouth. And I mean, he's, and he looked at me and he said, man, I've been thinking about it ever since you said it. And so it just, and in fact, remember when he, what made me laugh is we went back up on stage to start his next set. He goes, I just want to give a shout out to some guy who really got in my head, time freedom. <laughs> and nobody has any idea what he's talking about. You know, it's just yeah. some small little dinner thing and he just kept playing. But I thought it was funny because it, nobody uses those words. Yeah, and I think it's so important to understand that early on or just understand it wherever you are at today. Right? It's 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 something that we're all after, but we don't we don't know it. And if you don't already know it, you you're that's what you're after. Yes. Is the time freedom. Now, once you have the time freedom, then you use that time to do whatever that is important to you and it that could be different things for different people. Um but but we all seek that time freedom. You know, Chris, I just thought of somebody that does have time freedom. Is that someone who gets social security? Uh huh. Money comes in. They don't have mm -hmm. to do anything for it. Their only hope or their concern is if the political powers were to decide to reduce that dollar or to, you know, maybe uh, somehow make it less or not increase it. Yeah. Well, it's probably not a comfortable time. No, freedom. exactly. But is that right. the level of time freedom that you wish to aspire to? No, not at That's all. That's not going to pay the lifestyle that and I want to live. Because what, what, what age are you when you collect Social Security? Why do you well, ask me? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just asking. You know, I'm, I'm kind of far away. <laughs> I understand. I'm just a little closer. <laughs> no, I, I'm kidding. But I understand. I think there. I just just I don't a question, know. right? I, I mean, a, it's it, you, at least in your 60s. Yeah, I assume. It, let's say 65, 67. I don't even know. All right. But, you know, whatever you start deciding to collect Social Security, you're going to be in your 60s. Do you want time freedom in your 60s or you want time freedom now? Correct. And if you happen to have or are in your 60s and you don't have time freedom, I'm not sure right, uh, how much more you're going to get to time freedom if, if you haven't planned already. Correct. Right, in your 60s, yeah. And is and is that level of... of dollars that is paid by uncle sam for your time freedom in the, under the the charity of social security is that enough to give you what you want to do and the lifestyle you want to lead and i would say for the people listening to this show the answer is no and let's say the answer is yes but wouldn't you be nervous if that that might go away correct right because you don't control that you, you don't have the skills to create that your it it has not your livelihood is based on the largesse and the kindness mm -hmm. and the voting block if you will of others yeah it's not it's, based it's, on anything you've done yeah it's completely different than an asset generating money for you so in in so back to the the 99.999% of us that are looking to do time freedom off of having our money work for us as opposed to uncle sam sending us a check in order to get there you have to understand it takes discipline and it's going to take a hell of a lot of determination and drive to get there. This is not something that's going to come quick and you have to be, you got to have your eye on the prize and you need the operating system. And it's, you know, once, once you understand, then it's following the process, following the rules, sit down the boat, shut up and row. Well, here's a, here's a story uh, that kind of, exemplifies a little bit of that determination mm -hmm. or at least some of that mindset. I, uh, 
you know, looking on a regular basis, typically on CNBC, right, on a daily basis that you kind of quickly catch up with the news or the market, you know, if anything is different, uh, not business as usual. And my eye was, you know, kind of glancing at an article that says some woman spent $41,000 on Amazon, right? And so I was just kind of glancing down the article and then it, it, it kind of led me to a, there was a link. I was trying to figure out who's writing this article, what are they trying to sell? And the message of the article was saying, hey, you know, watch your expenses. This lady spent like $41,000. She started digging into it and now she's making a kind of a change, right, to uh, spend less and save more. And then um, they said, you know, she was didn't say what her name was, anonymous, but gave a link. I clicked on the link. It says uh, it was Bayalis is the answer dot com. That's B-A-Y-L-A-I or B-A-Y-A-L-I-S is the answer dot com. So, you know, I didn't have a chance to really go through the whole uh, or her website, but just kind of reading the uh, quick brief about her. It was kind of a blog she's putting together. And uh, I guess she woke up one day and realized, hey, you know, I, I got to make a change in my life. And I she didn't go into detail, but I bet, uh, you know, she has a young daughter. And so she talks a lot about family life and doing, you know, just kind of living life. And so she's realized that, hey, she's been spending a lot of money and not allowing that money to work for her. And so she realized uh, kind of the goal to reach financial independence, retire early. That was her acronym. You know, she used the acronym FIRE, F-I-R-E. Okay. As right, financial independence, retire early. So she said, hey, this is my FIRE plan. Nice. And uh, here's the blog too for you guys to follow. And, you know, you can kind of watch me on my journey towards that. So it's and, a blog to track how she's getting there. Yeah. And kind of inspire others why she's doing what she's doing as well. And track and, the and, results. Uh, yeah, you kind of give a little bit of background. She's, I think she says she's uh, 38 years old, software engineer. And husband is, uh, I think, a few years younger, uh, same type of field. And I guess mo- both make, uh, you know, north of, uh, you know, 100000 on income. So they're able to have some dollars set aside to save. Um, but, you know, as far as being a spender, her 41000 was spent over a course of, I think, eight, nine, 10 years. So not that bad. Right. Still spending, you know, probably on stuff you shouldn't be spending, but um, not a ridiculous amount of money. Um, but anyways, she started to put a plan together and, um, you know, kind of gave uh, a, a monthly update. And I think I was able to catch, you know, what was she doing for the month of May? She said, she said hey, a quick update uh, so far uh, through the first about five months here. Right. They she and her husband. Uh, had the goal to save uh, annually, right, for this year, 2017, of I think 160,000 or something like that. So a and goal, she said she, a goal for this yeah. year was 160,000 to save Over, or for growth to save. Yep. Okay, okay. And 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 so so far they were able to stash just a little north of 100,000 in five um, months, right? And as you say, mainly because you know in their uh, business or in their uh, field, they get a bonus check in January right, early in the year. So they were able to deposit a nice bonus check uh, this year. And then from the uh, savings uh, that they put and what I think, I'm not sure if that included other dollars already saved, but they said the capital gains already for this year is 60,000, about 59,000 or something, right? So she's, you know, she's just kind of updating, you know, what uh, what the 
wealth numbers look like. Um, but yeah, I mean, she didn't highlight go into detail about how she's going about her fire plan. Okay. Uh, but just the fact that she's realized, Hey, I got to start saving because I, I, I want financial independence. I want to retire early. I'm probably, you know, enjoying my life with my daughter and having the time freedom is much more meaningful than being at the, the job that, you know, pays well, but you know, I'm giving up all this time. She's got a purpose. Exactly. She's definitely got a purpose. And so I think she's kind of, you know, waking up and seeing that. And like I said earlier that we all kind of, you know, it's like a magnet, right? It's, it's going to suck you towards time freedom at some point, right? Correct. And, and you will realize that that's what you are chasing all your life. Um, you know, we all, you know, reflect back in our childhood how wonderful it was, you know, to feel so free and all this, you know, it's because you, time was, you had all the time freedom. Yeah. You didn't have a care in the world. You're worried about what was, what, what are you having for dinner? Mm -hmm. Where am I going to run to? Where am I going to ride my bike to? And what are my friends doing? Yeah. Maybe I go catch fish out in the Gulf of Mexico. That's right. Come back in. Right. Sip some wine, play guitar. (laughs) (laughs) But in all seriousness on that, you think about that. She's got, she's got a, uh, a goal. She's disciplined. She's doing, you know, disciplined on the spending and disciplined on the tracking. I don't, she didn't talk about her investing strategy so much. Did she? No, I think there were other pieces of the uh, website or uh, links to the website that, uh, you know, maybe touch a little bit on. I think she has some, I remember reading, uh, it was more around a lot of ETFs, right? Okay. Electronic traded funds. Yep. That maybe mimic the, uh, the the stock market, right? The S&P or something. Okay. But so she's got determination, drive, and she's got a, it's almost like a work ethic, Right. Mm-hmm. Kind of keeps her nose to the grindstone and just keep rowing. Yeah, you can definitely tell there's a sense of, uh, you know, uh, this person who has a very strong work ethic here, because not only I was looking to see what is she trying to sell or market or, you know, how did I get to her site? Right. You know, on her site, I didn't see any advertisement. I didn't see any link to buy anything. And it was mainly, uh, you know, her spending time to, you know, kind of share to the world what she's doing. That's cool. um, and so, you know, just to kind of keep up and having a detailed plan and, you know, tracking all the numbers, you know, somebody's putting in the time and effort and, and work. And there's also, I mean, there's something to be said to that too, because now she's going out publicly and she's got other people looking over her shoulder. So there's this drive of, um, keep uh, me honest, keep me, yeah, yeah, keep me, yeah, keep me, keep me on it. Yeah. Not only honest, but keep me on it because now I've got, you know, however many people are clicking on our blog every week, every month, every or you know, on a regular basis. So now she's got people tracking it. So she's got to stay, she's got to stay working on it. It's kind of like when, you know, you publish out and say, look, my goal is to lose 50 pounds this year. And if you say that in front of a group of people, they're going to keep an eye on you. As opposed to if you just say it to yourself on January 1st yep. and then give up on January 15th when chocolate cake sounds good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think her, I mean, her plan was, this is not a, hey, it's going to be next year. Uh, I think it was at least five years. That's cool. And so. Which is going to require discipline. Yeah. And the point of this, the, the story is really to uh, share the, the whole discipline determination part. And you got to take action because this lady, for whatever reason, uh, 
you know, decided to, to, to make this change, right? Whatever, you know, I can only speculate, but something in her that says, hey, I got to take action. And whatever it is for you, it doesn't matter. You got to take action. If she didn't take action, none of this would happen. She would not be on her path. It's taking action, but it's also having a a drive and a relentless focus. It may sound a little bit too obsessive, but she's, she's got the drive and she's determined to get there. Come hell or high water, she'll get it done. And that's what it takes to get there. And it, it's neat because that same mindset, for lack of a better word, I don't know if you call it work ethic mindset, I'm not sure what, what you call it, but that same thing is what's required to really succeed in just about anything, right? Could be trading, could be investing, could be promotion at work, you know, running up and down a basketball court. Sure. Could be, uh, you know, a piece of uh, musical instrument that you're trying to learn or pick up. Exactly. <clears throat> exactly. I had a fun one this past, uh, last couple of weeks. We went on a, uh, on a hiking or like a backpacking event with my kid. Or a group of about, I got to think back, maybe 15, 20, something like that. And I, I am out of shape. I'm in the worst shape I've ever been in my life. I had a, uh, had an issue with my shoulder a few months ago. Stuff to pick up donuts. Yeah, exactly. It's been, thank God I'm not a big donut guy, but the, the doc had said, you know, don't lift. Uh, I was, I think I was one supposed to lift more than like 25 pounds and was kind of supposed to limit motion and movement for a little bit. So I wasn't doing much for months for a couple of months there. Well, this, uh, this backpacking thing ended up being like, I think it was like a 15 miler. Um, and I've never gone backpacking before. So I went off on this trip and, you know, you load up with stuff and it ended up being, I'm, I'm guessing the pack probably weighed about 45 pounds. And we went to an Island off the coast of, uh, coast of LA here just in the last couple of weeks. And within, you know, coming off the boat and you know, get our, our packs loaded up, we got a bunch of, uh, you know, teenage kids and, uh, a group of dads. And I'm, I'm probably at the upper age range with the dads. And within the first, I'm guessing 200 yards, we went up a, not even a steep, but a little bit of an uphill. And I was embarrassed. I was sucking wind. It's like, holy goodness. This is, I wasn't using the word goodness. It was more of a four letter word. I was, I was saying them under my breath, but one of my buddies was there and he stepped back with me, looked at me like really concerned. He goes, you okay? You're going to make it. And I remember just looking at him saying, I'll get there. You know, I may be last, but I'll get there. I'll finish it. And it's just that determination of, like, there's no chance I'm not going to make this. You know, if I have to crawl, I'm going to do it. And I, I'm, I'm sure I gave him a little, I might have had a little bit of a glint in my eye, not laughing, but like, you know, you know, damn you for even questioning me. It's, it's determination. Yeah, that's, it's like, there's no question I'll get there. I'm not worried about being first. I'll get there. The, I told the stories when we finished. When we got there, we were talking about something. I said, you know, there's a, a story that I've heard for many times. I love the story. The every year Harvard Med School graduates their, you know, that that year's class of doctors. And there's always one person that graduates at the top of the class at Harvard Med School. And that person gets all the accolades and all the awards and probably the great job offers and, the, you know, whatever other things go to that person. And there's a there's always one person that graduates last from Harvard Med School. And while he was at the top school, he graduated last. And there's a term they use for that guy. 
And it's kind of like in the NFL, they have the person that's drafted last every year in the draft. I think they do the Mr. Irrelevant. And they send them on a trip down to Newport Beach and they send them to Disneyland. They just kind of have a little fun at that guy's expense. But in Harvard, they take a little bit different approach. And the person that graduates last from Harvard has a title. And they give the same title to to that person every year. And that term that they call them is doctor. And so it doesn't matter if you get through first or if you're the last guy coming through, as long as you get through. Right. And that was kind of the approach I had with finishing up the, uh, the backpacking. Yeah. You're the doctor of hiking. Yeah, that's exactly that. Dr. <laughs> Hansen of hiking. Good um, job. Congratulations. Uh, I'm glad you finished. But good God, did my, I felt like I had rental legs the next day, but then, <laughs> it, but it was interesting, you know, having, you know, you just say, look, I'm just it's not even a question. You're just going to get through it. But then on the return trip, it, there was no issue so much easier. Right. And I don't, you know, who knows what the re I'm sure my, my load was probably 10 pounds light. We didn't carry as much stuff, but still was not anywhere close to as painful as it was going out. And that applies in life on other stuff too. Your first time going through this stuff is going to be difficult. It's frustrating. You just got to grind it out. Yeah. I mean, I've done stuff where, you know, I feel like I'm a collapse, right? Mm-hmm. Just physically. Yes. And it's just, it's the mental side of it that push you and keeps you going. Yes. And if if I had any doubts or negativity in the mind or anything that's negative, right? Uh, You'd think about quitting. Well, not only that, it, it makes the work harder. Like for some reason, if, you know, you have that, you know, just grit, right? You mm-hmm. call it, um, or, or just that work ethic and that drive and that mental toughness to push through and power through, you you finish it and it's much easier. And let's say, you know, you have that, but you're going to, and you're going to finish it anyways, but somehow you let slip in some, you know, some doubts, you know, you're being weak, right? Yep. And although you finish it, (laughs) you feel more pain finishing it that way than the other way. Correct. Correct. And I, you know, I don't know if that's something that can be, we all have voices in our head, right? That tell us we can or can't do something. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what puts it in some people's heads that they can. And yet that same task, other people say that they can't. And what's it's fascinating because they're both correct. Mm-hmm. But it's really interesting how, you know, you let the voice in your head determine whether you can or cannot. Yeah. Right. There's some things, you know, physically, it's not going to happen. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm six foot one. I'm not going to be a horse jock. I'm not going to be a jockey, right? It's just not possible. But aside, you know, and I'm probably, I'm not going to be a seven footer in the NBA, but that doesn't mean I couldn't dunk. Right. And so it, you know, there are some limitations on certain things. I don't have the size to be a lineman in the NFL, but on things that are, you know, just require. Well, how to think, right? Just using the brain. Exactly. Exactly. And the body wears out. You have to have the high IQ. No, the body wears yeah. out long before the brain does. Yeah. And you don't need to you need to be smart. You just got to be driven and have a work ethic. I mean, I think we can talk a lot about work ethic, but uh, you know, that might be a different episode. It's it's interesting too. And we we talk about this on a later episode too is the you know, the it's kind of if you take the hiking example or even on the the Bay, Bay Alice or whatever however you pronounce that. Mm-hmm. Uh the Bay Alice is the answer. Yep. You've said this a bunch of times, and I, I get if I, I get a, if I ever write a book and put a quote in there, I'm gonna give it for you, give it to you. 
and you've, I don't remember my interpretation of how you've said it or my memory of how you've said it is, you know, when you're facing a tough decision, usually the harder choice is the correct one to make. Correct. That's perfect. Right. And you think about that and that applies in so many aspects of life, right? Usually the one that is the harder, you're like, oh, that's going to be the rough path. And you want to take the easy route. Usually you the know, harder that, one is the correct one to do. Yeah. And that, that, uh, phrase or that type, I mean, that quote you brought up is so important. I think it, it deserves a lot more time in another episode, but it does, you know, I'm glad you brought it up because it, it says, it says, all right, what's the harder, I mean, you know, our listeners got to make a decision tonight or whenever they and listen, you know, finish up listening to this episode. Yes. You got to make a decision. Hey, am I going to do the homework? Am I going to do that assignment he was telling me about? Or am I going to apply, you know, these things that he's talking, you know, what we're talking about here in the episode that comes down to that, you know, that work ethic and, and that decision point. Are you, what decision is easier? Correct. It's real easy not to do it. Yeah. It's very easy not to do it. It's also very easy to do it. Correct. But it's very easy not to. Yeah. It's easier. Yes. Right. So, yeah, I guess you don't have to say which one's the harder one, right? You can say which one is the less easy. Correct. (laughs) Requires more effort. Yeah. Right. Because they're all really easy. They're just easy, a bunch of easy tasks, right? Over time. And, and, you know, the problem is doing nothing is easier. So people tend to go towards the easier decision. Yep. Or it could be either doing nothing or, you know, doing what you've always done. Mm-hmm. Not doing anything different yep. is easy because it doesn't require you to think. It doesn't require you to learn. It doesn't require you to make any. Yeah, which any which means just you know change. take no action, right? There's no uh, there's no change. There's no adjustments. There's no shift in what I do. Correct. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I think what's what's really cool too about the 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 concept of a podcast, if you will, is the most of the people that are especially if you're listening to this this vintage or this flavor of podcast is you're looking for an answer or some kind of guidance or something, uh, call it motivation, whatever you might want to call it. Um, as opposed to someone that's driving into work, listening to, you know, uh, whatever, whatever music on the radio. Right. But the, the person or the people that are listening to a show like this are looking for something either inspirational, motivational, something to get them to do something different. They know, they know they need to make a change, but even, and so that different different people differentiates people dramatically. But even with that, knowing you need to make a change and actually doing something that really skinnies the herd. Cause there's a lot, not a lot of people are going to take the effort to do that really simple exercise. And it doesn't, Chris, it's not going to help you out one bit. doesn't help me out, doesn't, doesn't put a dime in my pocket. doesn't give me a feel-good, doesn't do anything. But if somebody puts in that little bit of effort, their eyes will be open and go, oh my gosh, I never knew this was possible. I didn't know that was out there. right? But me telling you is not the same as you going out and seeing it for yourself. Yep, and again, you know, just running the numbers or just the numbers that just happen in life. It's that 95 and 5, and it's always that, the few that will always take that next step and do something. So, but the cool thing is you get to choose Yes. Right? and there's, there's plenty of room in, in that, 
right? 5% of the people that, you know, will actually do something. There's, not there's a lot. plenty of room for that. <clears throat> there's not a lot of people on that highway. Yep. There's a, there's a great line, right? You, you have two choices in life. You have the pain of discipline or you can have the pain of regret. You get to choose either one of your pains and whichever one you choose, you will not have to deal with the other one. They are mutually exclusive. So if you choose the pain of discipline, you won't regret it. You'll have no regrets. If you choose the pain of regret, you don't have to worry about discipline at all. It's no problem. And nobody holds a gun to your head. You totally get to make the choice yourself. And whichever one you choose, the good thing is you do not have to worry about the other one. Kind of goes back to the earlier statement. When facing a decision, usually the harder choice is the correct one to make. And that's a great example of it. Yeah, that's a that's a great one to uh, if you guys ever run through. Hey, I got to make a decision, right? Apply that what what Chris just said. You know, ask yourself that which one is the harder decision or which one is the less easy decision, right? And usually the less easy is not the correct one. And again, most decisions they're very they're they're easy, you know, to to do things. It's easy. It's just because there's you got to do it over and over and over i don't want to i don't want to study for my test i don't want to put in the extra work and the extra time of work i don't want to go to the gym i don't want to Mm -hmm. not eat a donut i don't want to walk seven miles with a backpack on my back or i don't want to talk to my spouse about you know something that we didn't agree upon no action is easier that action is tougher but that's probably the right one and it'll it'll make things better have we beat this one to death? Yeah, I think it's good. I mean, but again, it, because it's so important, we'll, we'll probably touch on it again in you know some future episodes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And lots and lots of examples to to kind of walk through on that. And um, you know, would love to hear from our listeners if they apply right that rule or that principle right in in decisions. And you know, would love to kind of hear feedback or outcomes of you know when they apply that. Yeah, it's all we've I've gotten. In fact, I was just on a text dialogue with a with a listener just earlier this week. He was uh, he was sending me a picture of him reading one of the book one of the items on the book list that he pulled off of the Investing from the Beach website, and he was sitting at the I'm going to mispronounce it the Tsukuji Tsukiji um, fish market in Tokyo, waiting in line for uh, sushi, and it's the if you're not familiar with it, it's where the all the boats that come into Tokyo. Um, are selling their fish to all the sushi restaurants and all that in and around the city. And I've uh, been there before. They, uh, they've got phenomenal sushi right there. Literally is right off the boat. And he was in line, a very long line for fresh sushi, and he was sitting there reading one of the books off the book list. And so he sent me a text picture with that on there. So it's pretty interesting. I've been to Tokyo a few times, so I was giving him places to go and things to do on his trip there. And so if you have input on something or if you've had some results off something that we have shared, it's uh, it's really neat to know how that has impacted you. So if you want to share that, by all means, let us know. You can reach us either on the website, investingfromthebeach.com, um, hit the contact page, or you can send us an email, investingfromthebeach at gmail.com, or you can call us on the phone number, which is uh, easy way to remember it. Jump on a 747, and in 24 hours, you can be at any beach. And that's our number, 747-24-BEACH. And with that, the reason we do this podcast is that we know from personal experience, both from each of us individually or both of us individually, as well as people that we have helped over the years and their quest to get to time freedom, we know 
that if you'll apply what we talk about, not just in this episode, but in the earlier episodes and in future episodes, you too can get to the point of time freedom. What we've also found is, you know, we talk about the five, the 595, the 95% how to think, the 5% how to do. We also know that of the listeners, probably five, if there's a hundred of them, five of them are going to do something with this. You know, 5% will go do this. You have to ask yourself, are you one of those 5%? Are you willing to do what it takes to get to the, to reach that point of time freedom? If you are, let me assure you, it is an awesome spot to be. And you will find that the road is not crowded at all. We call the show Investing from the Beach. The beach is not crowded during the week. If you go down to a beach on a Tuesday, the waves sound incredible. Much, much different than they sound on a Friday, on a Saturday, and a Sunday. Tuesday waves are the ones you want to listen to. 5% of you will do the work that it takes to get to a Tuesday, to be able to be the point in life where all you hear are Tuesday waves. You get to ask yourself, are you going to do the effort to be one of those people listening to Tuesday waves? Our hope is that you are. Our belief is that, and we know that it works. You just get to decide which group you're going to be in. We appreciate you listening. I look forward to speaking to you next time. 